Welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show with Steve and Trish. Trish, I have a confession to make. Ooh, confessions, good. This is not, a, this is not that juicy. It sounds juicy. It sounds no, delicious. What do you it's, got? It's awful. Oh. <laughs> I admit, Trish, for breakfast today, I had some Pop-Tarts this morning. Oh, is that confession worthy? Is that a bad thing? No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, not ashamed at all. But here's my question for you, Trish. Okay. What is the kid food or junk type food you will still admit to liking as an adult? That's a really, that's a good question. I think because you said Pop-Tarts, that's coming to mind. I am still, now let me just clarify though. I don't like just any kind of Pop-Tarts. I think some of them are pretty sweet and maybe not so great. Um, I'm a fan of the frosted strawberry and I like it microwaved, not in the toaster. Whoa, now that's controversial. I know, right? So yes, a microwaved, yeah, frosted strawberry, I would have to admit to. And maybe yeah. once in a while, a few bites of uh, my son really loves the frosted flakes. Mm-hmm. So I might like uh, have a bite or two of that once in a while. I still eat spam. I, I'm not <laughs> going to be, and I'm not ashamed at all to say it. In fact, I might have some of that <laughs> later today. All right. Good stuff. Hey, Trish, okay. uh, you know, we know it's been crazy these last few months for for everybody, every workplace, just every business, everything, right? Yes. We've all moved to just about 100% virtual or 100% virtual over these last few months. I mean, and every organization has had to adapt just really every process, right, to function in this new virtual environment. And one of the things uh, that's changed certainly is for the organizations who have been and continue to still be hiring, and they have hiring goals and needs that moving the entire hiring process, right, for the most part, or really and moving it all to a virtual process has had to happen for lots and lots of organizations as well. And that's what we're going to talk about today on the show. It, it, kind of this move to virtual hiring, some of the technology that supports virtual hiring, and just some of the, uh, some of the developments in hiring technology as well that are super interesting. And our guest today is Vivek Ravasankar. Vivek is the CEO and co-founder of HackerRank, the platform used by over 7 million developers to hone their skills and and is employed by 2,000 plus companies like Amazon, Lyft, LinkedIn, and Dropbox to recruit top technical talent. After graduating from NIT in India, Vivek worked as a software engineer at Amazon where he spent hundreds of hours interviewing other developers to help bring efficiency, standardization, and inclusivity to the technical hiring process. He co-founded HackerRank, the first Indian startup to graduate from Y Combinator. Vivek, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Steve and Trish, for inviting me. This, uh, no, it's our pleasure to have you. Vivek, for folks who, in the HR space who listen to the show, just maybe give, and, and maybe for me too, I've heard of it. Tell, tell me what Y Combinator is. I know kind of what it is, but can you maybe just start with that? Sure. Yeah, Y Combinator is a startup in itself, which actually funds other startups twice a year. Uh, they fund a small amount of money, typically anywhere between $20,000 to $30,000 um, twice a year for a large number of startups. Typically, they do about 100 investments a year. Okay. And uh, it is a pretty prestigious accelerator where you get um, a lot of inputs from mentors, from advisors to, to, get, you, to get you off the ground. And then it's on, on you to go ahead and raise another round of funding and continue to build your company. All right, right. And so you guys went through that process and that, that I imagine that helped you quite a bit in the early days of HackerRank. Definitely. I think it was a life-turning moment for, for us as a company. I mean, we were 
Um, I don't want to make this as like some heroic story where oh, <laughs> we were just bankrupt and you were just on the road and something, but like, you know, to some degree we were, we, we started the company and for the first couple of years, nothing really worked. In 2011, we came here for the Y Combinator program. Um, and, and the interesting part is the interview for Y Combinator is only 10 minutes and they decide whether you want, whether they're going to fund you or not. So that was my first trip to the U.S. Uh, to the, you know, that's first, first time to America. And so I flew in from India for a 10 minute interview. Wow. Fortunately, we got in. Otherwise, it would be the worst flight trip ever. You take a 20 hour flight and get kicked out of the country after 10 minutes. That's, that's, that should be pretty yeah, bad. That, that'd be a rough flight back. Yeah. I feel yeah, like it's yeah. a little bit like Shark Tank, right? Where yeah. <laughs> it's make or break that pitch, right? You must have done pretty well. Absolutely. You know, what's the most interesting thing that I learned from that was um, I did not expect that we would actually get in. And so I was very free. I was not, I was not in any kind of pressure or that I have to win this or that I had to get it. I was just like myself. And uh, it turns out that it actually works for most of the times. Um, you know, that's interesting. I was actually on Twitter this morning and someone was asking like, what would be advice that you would give maybe your younger self or someone who's maybe just coming out of university? And I think what you just said is maybe one of those big pieces of advice, right? It's whenever you're just yourself and you're not trying to sort of put on an act, things tend to work out usually. If you're, especially if you're in a case of trying to um, sell yourself or your ideas and, and what you find interesting because that passion kind of comes through, I'm sure. So yeah, great advice. Absolutely. I didn't intend, intend that to be an advice, but sure, if you need it, feel free to. Yeah. It works. It works. <laughs> well, thank you, Vivek, for sharing some of that. I just, you know, every so often, and Trish knows this after hundreds of shows, uh, something in the bio of the guest catches me, and then I just want to talk about that for a while. And I don't think we've ever talked about that or really talked too much about kind of the startup world and how some of that works on the show. It's just not something we get into, and it was fascinating to me. So thanks, Vivek, for sharing some of that. Uh, Vivek, um, HackerRank is working with thousands of companies, as we said, and helping them with their hiring practices and processes. I'd love for you to maybe, before we get started on, you know, getting into some of the technology a little bit, is tell us about kind of helping your customers make this transition to pretty much a fully virtual hiring environment and set of hiring processes. How has that transition been for some of your customers? And maybe kind of talk us through a little bit of what they've gone through and how you guys are, are, are helping to support that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been, it's been a big transition. So just at a high level for people who are not familiar with HackerRank, um, we, we help companies hire developers through based on their skills versus pedigree. So that's our core philosophy with which we operate, with which we build products, with which we hire people. And what, um, what's, what's been the biggest change that we saw? I mean, like we started off the company with helping, um, helping our customers identify good developers in the first stage of the interview process. Typically, the first stage of the interview process is always looking at your resume and then figuring out, hey, is this resume good? Like, do I know the school? Is this a good GPA? And frankly, that, that, seemed, that seemed wrong. That seemed like almost fundamentally unethical. <laughs> that that why, why are you judging somebody based on a piece of paper and then figuring out whether this person gets an opportunity or not? So we definitely changed the game on that where a lot of our customers adopted our skill-based assessment where the first step of the interview process was actually based on, not based on resume or whatever you've written on the piece of paper, but hey, here is a coding challenge and tell me if you have the skills to do that or not. That was a big transformation which got us off the ground and, and we got a lot of customers, we grew our company and we're continuing to grow. But what we're starting to see happen now in this whole uh, setup of remote hiring or remote work 
is even though we solved or we solved a good amount of bias issues and stuff on the screening uh, stage, there used to still be a lot of bias and um, non-standard processes that you used to do during the on-site interviews when people were when people actually had an on-site session. Um, and it usually took the form of, I'm not even prepared for the interview. I would just wing it. I would come out to the, come into the conference room and ask whatever I feel like asking, or you would ask the candidate to code on a whiteboard, which by the way, nobody codes on a whiteboard on a day-to-day -day basis. So why <laughs> you give a tool that somebody is not even familiar with? So there was just a lot of bias. And our next phase of evolution of the hiring solution was, hey, how do we now standardize the interview process? Like what we have actually done on the first stage of the process on, on screening. And COVID, for, for whatever reason, has really accelerated that process. Right now, companies are almost forced to have a standardized hiring process. And I'll tell you why. When you had an on-site session, you typically had somebody walking up to the conference room, waiting for your peer to complete the interview. And then as he or she walks by, you're just gonna ask, hey, what did you think of this candidate? What did you interview this person on? What should I talk, talk to this person and stuff? Right now, there are no hallway conversations. It's zero. You have a calendar invite and you click on it, you jump on an interview. And so unless and otherwise you're clearly prepared on what skills you need to assess this person on, how do you assess those skills? How do you determine whether this is a strong yes or yes or no? Unless in other ways you put in all of the structure, you're not going to have a good interview process, which means you can't get the confidence of whether you need to hire this person or not, because you're not meeting, this, meeting the candidates in person these days. So it's almost completely shifted companies thinking about making sure that you have a structured process which in itself has resulted in a lot of bias that has, that has actually completely gone out of the window. And then on the other side of the equation on candidates, this is one of my favorite uh, transformations that we're seeing happen in our, in our, uh, from our customers. I always believe that the purpose of the interview is to figure out what the best version of the candidate looks like. Oftentimes, like companies have this notion of, hey, I want to prove that I'm smart and I'm going to stump you with this really hard question so that you can go around talking to your peers saying, wow, that was just a really hard interview to do. Guess what? You're not going to hire anybody um, with that. So it's a loose, loose situation. But now companies are actually forced to have prepared candidates. Hey, these are the tools that we're going to use. These are the rounds that you're going to be interviewed on. These are the skills that you're going to be interviewed on. Here are some prep docs and prep materials for you to go ahead and prepare yourself for the interview that we can truly understand what your best version looks like. So those are huge changes that we're seeing in our customers. You know, I like that, Vivek, because I think a lot of times when you're interviewing um, as the candidate, you feel like maybe they're trying to trick you, right? They're, they're again, to your point, maybe just trying to show how smart they are or, or whatnot, but really it is about sort of, can that, can that candidate demonstrate their ability to think around different types of questions and scenarios? And I like kind of that little real world aspect that you talked about um, in the questioning that, that comes about. What kind of feedback do you hear from the candidates, if any? Or even if that's coming through the, the employers that are using HackerRank, are you getting different kind of different reactions from the people who are actually going through the process? 
Sure, I think I think the um, every every system will have pros and cons. I think the pros for this system that I hear from candidates are the fact that it's much more natural for them because you don't like I mentioned you don't have whiteboards or anything. You just like jump onto a collaborative programming editor. You code. You actually are able to share your screen and show your code. Hey, this is how my app works. Um, it is much more real world. It is it is closer to what you would do on a day to day basis. Uh, the second thing that I hear uh, from candidates is they suddenly feel a level of preparedness before they go to the interview because they kind of know these are the skills that I'm going to be assessed on and here are the prep docs. I, I actually got this from, from the companies directly. So they, they feel more confident going into the interview session, which is very, very good to see. And the confidence, of course, translates a lot into the way that you perform. Um, the cons or things that they miss is getting a feel of getting a feel of the office, getting a feel of the team. It's it's very very hard to do that in a remote interview in a remote session. Culture is a is a is an overused word which has hundreds of definitions from different people. But like uh, but just to get a sense of hey, what is it like to work in the company? How do you how do you, how do your teams interact? What works? What does not work? Am I actually a good fit or not? You can try to get a lot of those things on a video call, but nothing like meeting in person to get a real sense of, hey, can you and I hit it off? And like, can, 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 we, can we actually work together well? And so those are, those are some of the things that, are, that you can't achieve in a remote setting. So that's what I would say are pros and cons. But net-net, I would say developers are happy. We measure this index called BLI. It's called Developer Love Index. Uh, that's like a core metric that we measure in a company that's starting to go up. So it seems like people are really liking this new, new format. Vivek, over time when you're working with customers and you've got some large customers that we mentioned in, in, the, in the intro, do, you, do they find over time that transitioning to some of these processes, these um, uh, collaborative kind of structured processes, can they report back that it, this is actually resulting in improvements in the metrics that we're measuring? And you know, the various metrics could be just time to hire and, and cost per hire, but also quality of hire. I mean, can, you, can we look sort of a before and after and say, yeah, this, this actually does help us make uh, more effect, become more effective at hiring and actually result in better hiring? Yeah, no, that's a good question, Steve. And I mean, you've, you've been in this industry for some time. The metrics are the bane of existence of HR tech. It's just like insanely hard to get like good funnel data um, good correlation data on um, on like hey how do you how do your interviews per, uh, connect with performance of candidates once the person is hired and stuff we've been we've been trying our best to do that I would say anecdotally it results in a much better outcome um, that we have heard from customers I would love to have given you a very scientific statistically rigorous proof of hey here is you know, given if you follow all of these things, you're going to get like a high performance. Uh, but I don't have that level of rigor. But I can tell you this, the fact that you're conducting your interviews in a much more structured way reduces your confirmation bias to a huge degree. You know, oftentimes when you don't have a structure, what you're really trying to get out of the candidate is you have a, you already have an impression about the candidate whether that's just the way this person walks into the room or the first couple of answers about, that this candidate gives or by looking at the resume or doing something else, you already have an impression. And all you're trying to do during an interview process is to confirm whether your impression is true or not by asking questions. 
But once you put a structured hat, you are no longer sort of like going to wear off on the tangent. You're going to say, look, here are yeah. the skills. Make sure this person has those skills. And I'm, and I'm not interested in trying to figure out whether your impression is accurate or not, uh, but more interested in objectively evaluating the skills. That has actually resulted at least much better debrief sessions because it's way more objective on evaluation as opposed to, oh yeah, I felt good interviewing this candidate, so we need to make an offer. I mean, like that's not helpful. Yeah, Vivek, I think that's a great point. And I think one of the other benefits of that structured process is kind of in that debrief side, what you said, uh, where in the past we might, like uh, Trish might interview a candidate, I might interview a candidate separately, and we would maybe have a debrief session together. So what did you think of that candidate? And we didn't ask the same questions. We weren't looking for the same characteristics. We weren't really trying to hone in on what's, uh, we might've been just approaching it in completely different ways. And, and I also think that's a huge problem and it's always been a problem, right? Because we're looking through our own, as you said, our own, our own through our own biases, through our own lens and very subjective ways of evaluating. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. Think, I think too, when you were talking about um, just in terms of having the metrics, maybe when Steve asked about performance tying to those hires, I think part of that does fall under the shoulders of the HR teams or even the hiring teams, because um, that stuff isn't always followed through at the organizational level. And so you may have technology that supports it and actually encourages that, but that's something too, I think over, over time, HR teams can get a little bit better at. Because a lot of times too, I've worked in many places where HR and recruiting are one in the same team, but I've also worked at places where it's two separate teams. And so again, if you're you know, if, if you're thinking of it, like once the handoff comes and you're in human resources, you think, well, they're already hired. I don't really need to go revisit how that occurred. Yeah. I'm just taking them over today. And that's, I can tell you having led that sort of a team, it's very frustrating because you can't ever get the metrics then because no one then on the, the HR team really cares to go back and figure that out, right? There's no benefit for them to, to spend the time to do it. So it's kind of a vicious circle probably asking you, those kinds of questions because you probably get it uh, different from every single customer, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and, and that's why, you know, I think from a very philosophical point of view, you structured interviews are way better than unstructured interviews. So if you can align on that, then the question is how do you implement that in a way that it actually gets you the right results um, as defined by maybe even tenure, you know, forget performance, like tenure should be easy. Um, that should be easily calculated. You can easily calculate that. Um, so those are, those are some of the aspects that we're actually working on with customers. Um, hey, Steve, listen, I think this is such a fascinating conversation. Obviously, we're, we're going and going. Um, I do want to take just a moment and take a break and thank our, our generous sponsors who, uh, who make the show possible. Um, if you don't mind, if I break in with that. So yes. um, I want to first and foremost say that, um, you know, this episode of HR Happy Hour is sponsored by our friends at Paychex, who are one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. Paychex also hosts podcasts that the audience may find interesting. Their HR leadership series provides insights around the latest trends in our profession and it features a variety of expert guests and influencers, including both of us. We were on, gosh, what, about a month or so ago? Yeah, it's probably a couple months ago now. A couple yeah. months ago now? I know, time flies, right? Um, no, it's, it's sincerely a really, really great show, and, and they spend a lot of time prepping for it. So uh, I think they'll, you'll find that it's unlike any other HR podcast out there. So high praise for, uh, for what they're creating. 
Um, they have a business series which features conversations right now with business owners and paychecks experts around issues of the day, including the challenges that are being faced around um, the current pandemic. So you can listen and subscribe to that at paychecks.com slash podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. And then the other great sponsor we have that we've been working with is WorkHuman. And um, we actually, I don't even think it's run yet. We actually just recorded a, a show with um, Eric Mosley, the CEO of WorkHuman. And so we have that to look forward to. But we talked about uh, many things they've been up to. But one is uh, what something they've just introduced, which is called Mood Tracker. And that is a free modern voice of the employee. It's a tool that's uh, built by their data scientists, making it fast, easy, and actionable to get to the heart of your organizational issues. So you can check that out. Um, it's something we're using here at H3HR Advisors, and you can find that at workhuman.com slash mood tracker. Trish, I got my email from mood tracker for my check-in. I didn't do it yet, though. I was, Did I you? think when I saw, well, I think... I was not in a really great mood maybe that day and I didn't no, want you have my to answers <laughs> to reflect the bad mood I was in. So now I, listen, I'll, no, you have to answer honestly, because that's will, the thing. You know what? I think with mood no tracker, with mood tracker, it's, um, you really want to know, you want to know, especially in a time of a pandemic or any kind of a crisis, right? What your employees are really feeling. Yeah. So, um, yeah, on those days when you're not feeling quite as engaged or quite as happy or whatever, um, whatever you're feeling, it's all important, right? And so um, human resource leaders and business owners can, can really do quite a bit more, I think, around, you know, just how they, how they give back to the employees and support them if they really know what, what your moods are. Yeah. Right? So, I'll, be, I'll do. I'll do it today. I'm on it. Please do it today. No, it sounds like you're in a good mood today. See, now I'm we have a whole skewed view. <laughs> well, I'm not sure why. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get back to Vivek. Vivek, yes. a couple other things we wanted to hit on with you while we had your time today. And one is really interesting to me, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm, I'm like a little bit of a labor market geek, and one of the things that's interesting to me is if in this in COVID and everybody's gone to work remotely and hiring has gone remote and just everything has had a transition to remote, many companies, including some tech companies, I know you work with a lot of tech companies have, have kind of cast their, their, their line out and said, you know, we may stay remote for a long time, maybe forever. And I, I'd love for you to comment on that, maybe just from your perspective with customers you're working with at HackerRank, but even your own perspective as, as someone who's, you know, running a technology company, um, and, and how that might impact talent acquisition, where all of a sudden we don't have to have someone who lives in the Bay Area or lives in New York City, or we don't have to require them to relocate to those places. Um, what, what does kind of talent acquisition maybe look like longer term in a world where many, many more of us will be working and companies will be working fully remote for, for the foreseeable future? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think first and foremost, everyone has been surprised on the level of productivity that you can achieve with remote work. I think people were skeptical a lot, whether is it gonna work, is it not gonna work, am I gonna see a dip, are people gonna leave? And, um, un and unfortunately, a lot of companies had to let go of people because their business got severely impacted, which is definitely very, very unfortunate. Uh, but at a, at a very macro level, people have adjusted to remote work Pretty, pretty, pretty good. I mean, we did not see a miss in a, in the beat 
for the for the entire quarter. In fact, we had one of our best quarters, um, the the one that just ended. But I think, but I think there are other issues or or areas of uh, work that we need to do in order for for you to make remote work actually work. There is uh, definitely an elevated levels of mental health, mental awareness issues that have cropped up a lot more. So you need to be careful about that. And a lot of companies take onboarding for granted because you, as a new hire, if you were to just like come into the office, you can just learn a lot through osmosis, just like getting to know people, sitting on the lunch table and talking to others. But right now, if you're in remote work, unless you have a Zoom meeting set up, there is, there is nothing else that you can actually do except focus on your work. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done on onboarding, making sure that the new hire feels as a part of the team. So unless you really embrace, and, and, and also there are like a bunch of nuances, like for example, um, if you went ahead with a hybrid approach of part of the team being in office, part of the team being remote, I mean, you're going to create like two camps within your organization. Oh, I'm part of the remote culture. The others are part of the in-office culture. And when you have a meeting, um, you're going to have like weird dynamics that, that's going to happen. So you need, if you're embracing remote, if you want to go remote, embrace remote completely. Just just make it very, very clear uh, that, hey, we're going to follow a written documentation culture. We're not going to jump on like meetings all the time. There are a lot of things that we need to do asynchronously. There's a lot of things that we need to do during onboarding, making sure it's all documented. There's a lot of fundamental things that you need to change in the company. The fabric of the company needs to change in order for you to make remote work actually happen. Now to your question on the long-term impact, I think it's going to be a hugely net positive gain. We're going to go through a trough of sorrow because uh, people will find it very hard to transition and they go to, some of them might give up, man, this is just not working. Um, but then eventually we're going to have the, the fundamental views of workplace is going to change. I mean, Steve, just think about it. Your talent pool just got 10 times bigger, if not 100x. You were forced to hire people within the 10 or 20 mile radius paying twice the amount of salary that you would pay on an average because there's high demand for engineers within that radius. And now suddenly you get to see, wow, like my talent is everywhere and I'm not like going to shell out like $300,000 for a new grad um, because of the crazy bonus structures or whatever the large companies give. And I'm able to attract great talent. So I think it's going to fundamentally have a huge shift. It is also going to have a very a hugely positive impact on the way that you build your diverse teams. I think a lot of companies care about diversity and they care about it from the right angle as well, which is like, hey, if you're going to build a product that's going to be used by the entire world, we can't just be a bunch of engineers sitting in the Bay Area trying to design the product for the billion population that is sitting across different countries, like different cultures and stuff. We need to fundamentally have a diverse school of thought as we build products for the globe. So, but it's not that companies are not able to build diverse teams because they don't know that this, this is needed. It's because it comes back to the talent constraint, talent pool constraint. I'm just limited by my 10 to 20 mile radius. And now if you just open it up, that fundamentally changes a lot of things. So I do believe you're going to see way more diverse teams come into play. The fact that you're going to have a much more structured process, similar to the blind audition that, you, that, that happens in an orchestra where you're going to play behind a closed curtain and I don't know your gender, I don't know your race, and I'm just going to hire you based on how well you play. So when you have like a structured interview process, like a blind audition process, 
Like these things are going to have a very, very dynamic workforce that is going to result in great products being built. So I do think this is the state long term. Um, and by the way, the other point that I would like to make on this is if when companies like Facebook and Shopify and Square and Coinbase, and a lot of them have publicly come out and said, look, we're going to be a remote first company. I mean, you don't have many other options. <laughs> like, you, like, just think about it. If, if I'm Google and Facebook is saying I have, I'm going to go remote first. Um, and by the way, like the, the large tech companies are in everyone's toes. Like, you know, it's not like Facebook is a social network company. They're an e-commerce. It's not Amazon. It's not an e-commerce company. Amazon is competing with Netflix. Well, Amazon's in like every industry probably. Yeah, Amazon uh, competes with like, everyone. Yeah. Exactly. They might even do a podcast uh, next. You, you never know. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but, yeah. But, but if you just think about it, like every large tech company is in every industry. Apple just launched a credit card. So... Um, you don't know whether Apple is a consumer company or a fintech company. So then, then the question really becomes the bottleneck is the amount of technical talent that you can go ahead and hire to make that happen because your ambition is kind of endless. Uh, and so Facebook is saying, I'm going to go remote first. What they're essentially signaling is I have an unfair advantage of talent that I can access through the entire world, which you don't have if you don't embrace remote first. So it's going to have like a huge cascading effect throughout the entire tech industry where everybody's going to embrace remote first. Um, but there's a lot of fundamental changes that you need to make within the company, like onboarding, documentation, um, and all of the cultural behavioral changes that you need to do in order for it to be a successful one. Fascinating. I was just going to say, especially on the onboarding, I mean, Vivek, I normally take notes, but I was taking a ton of notes on what you were saying, because I think that's the first time I've heard anyone um, across our industry truly articulating that that is an area of, of need because of the, the fact that you are missing out. I liked how you talked about the sort of the um, learning through osmosis and you're right. I think when I, when you were saying that, I was thinking back to one of the first jobs I took that was remote and that was the biggest challenge. It was coming into a leadership team at a very high level uh, role myself where you don't get that learning in the hallway or like you said, around the lunch table, right? And so having to figure out how a company works and what the politics are and you know who you can trust and who you can't trust, you, you lose out on all of those cues if you are remote. So, oh, that's, that's good stuff. That's like for a whole nother show, actually. But <laughs> thank, you for, yeah. thank you for that. And then I also, um, I liked when you talked about talent being everywhere and kind of those, yeah. those examples are real where you're right. That is the competitive advantage right now. If you're fast to move, um, I think too, from a candidate perspective, when I think back to maybe times where I was looking for, for work years ago and I would, you know, you'd go on a job board maybe, and it, it always required you to put in the location and you'd search like nationwide or something. And there would be very few jobs that would show up as nationwide. Well, now it's global, right? So I, the opportunities, I guess, are, are more, um, more for you know individual candidates as well so yeah good stuff to think about Vivek I've got just one more question for me and I, I this was not in the notes but I just thought of it so I'm going to ask it anyway if, if, it, if it's too difficult uh, we'll edit it out later Vivek but here's my question you work with lots and lots of organizations many of whom are hiring lots and lots of technical people they're very strong at it they, you know they're getting better at it they're using platforms like HackerRank to, to, to become more efficient more effective and reduce bias etc but other organizations maybe don't hire as many technical people. Occasionally, smaller organizations maybe not as experienced at it. 
I'd love for you to give one or two kind of ideas or thoughts on like, what's the key to a, a good technical hire? What are some things to look for? And maybe some things that, you know, really aren't that important, but people might consider, you mentioned at the top, maybe degree and grade point average, maybe don't necessarily mean anything or don't, are not reflective of their ability to perform. But if I was an HR leader who, the type of person who listens to the show, and we maybe only hire a couple of technical people every year, what are some ideas or thoughts on, on making those hires, uh, just getting better at making those kinds of hires? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, as much as our company name is HackerRank, there is no global ranking of developers um, which is to say, here is the best developer in the world. I don't think that even makes, makes any sense. I think the question really is, does this developer fit with your organization? And is this a developer best for your company? And I think a lot of people just assume, oh, Google is a great technology company, so, and they must be hiring great developers for sure. So why don't we just copy their interview process and let's also hire those great developers? I mean, guess what? Like maybe your company is not working on trying to search a billion pages every minute and trying to crawl all of those things. Maybe you don't need that level of technical expertise. Maybe you need expertise in something else, an ability for you to build an app or like, you know, whatever it is, like you, you, you probably have different expertise to, uh, that, that you need to focus on. So I think the high order bit for companies to focus on is what do you really need in a developer? And so the way that we try to work with customers is we try to sort of bucket into a few things. There are a very broad-based buckets of skills that you're going to look for in a developer. And one is problem solving, which is the ability for you to have a problem that you can break it into sub-problems and go ahead and solve. It's just test for your general aptitude and programming proficiency and others. The second one is your real-world knowledge which is can you build an app? Can you code something on a, on a real code base? The third one is your ability to architect a system, your system design. And the fourth one is, your, is the ability for you to fit well within the culture of the company. And by the way, culture, again, like I mentioned, is the most, I would say, like misused word across the entire industry because people have different meanings for that. Uh, this is not like, oh, can I, can I go and get a beer with this person? It's, it's, you have to have a much better way of operationalizing the culture of your organization. And then the question becomes, okay, which areas would you put weights in terms of what kind of developer do you need? Right. And what are the, uh, what are the skill sets in each of these buckets? Uh, for example, if you're going to work at VMware, which is a customer, as a kernel engineer, I would actually say your knowledge of C, the language C, should be so, so high because you're working directly on the kernel it should be like off the charts. Uh, but if you're going to hire somebody who needs to make your website pretty, okay, maybe I don't need that level of knowledge of the C, C or C++. I don't need that level of language proficiency. Maybe I need to assess this person on how good are you in React and maybe a little bit, little bit way more on React versus actually on the problem solving and language proficiency aspects of it on the algorithm side of it. So I think it's very, very important. It's very custom to companies. Uh, people don't give a lot of thought. We give a framework and we work to make sure that customers have a good idea of what makes a great engineer for the, for the organization. Vivek, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for addressing that. It was really interesting too, because, uh, you know, we, development and technical hiring, uh, you know, seem to be one of those areas where that kind of um, 
resume inflation or qualification inflation was rampant, right? Like things, we all know the old joke about, you know, job descriptions that said five years of programming language in a certain language that has only been in, you know, in public domain for three years, you know, those kinds of things, right? And that was rampant in the industry. And uh, it's good to know that uh, you guys are working with companies to try to hey, get past some of those things and focus on the things that's really, really important, really, really interesting. You know what too, Steve, I think sometimes working in human resources or or in um, talent acquisition, sometimes you're not as versed in all of the skills that are required um, for that position in your organization. And that can be a detriment too. So I think if you're, if you're working with Hacker Lab or something like that, um, that type of a tool can actually help you um, source those candidates that you might not have such a good understanding of the differences between some of those languages, for example, or the skills that might be be needed. So they might be looking at like Google engineers um, in their resume, you know, and it's like to Vivek's, you know, point, it's not, that might not even be what you're really needing. So part of it too is a little bit on, you know, education that might be missing from the talent uh, acquisition yeah. team or the HR team, I think. Yeah, it's, it's super difficult. And it's a great mm -hmm. illustration of kind of what companies like HackerRank exist for. This exactly. is a hard thing. Hiring is hard in general. <laughs> Technical hirings may be even harder, right? For many, some of the reasons we've talked about and that reason as well, Trish, that I agree. We, lots of HR and recruiting people just don't have that background that they need. Um, yeah, Rebecca, I'd, put, uh, we, I'd put that up with like the healthcare too. Like, you know, it'd be yeah. like trying to hire different types of nurses or doctors. I mean, it becomes so specialized that sometimes you don't even understand all of the nuances of the role of what's needed. And I do feel like what Hack, HackerRank is doing is sort of addressing that from a technical standpoint, which is really helpful. Vivek, we've uh, held you up for quite a while today, so I, I do want to cut you loose here in a second, but just maybe uh, if you could, to the extent you'd like to, I saw, I'll just say this, I saw a demo from a couple of the folks at HackerRank uh, just the other day, so uh, really cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Maybe you want to just share a little bit about kind of uh, what's coming up uh, uh, from HackerRank. Yeah, no, happy to. I think uh, we've definitely evolved our product a lot. Like I mentioned, we started off helping our customers screen developers better then we evolved into a full-on interview solution which right now powers all the interviews given all interviews are virtual and remote right now uh, whether that is on a pair programming collaborative code session on using a whiteboard and connecting all of this into a nice skill-based candidate packet we have fundamentally transformed the interview process for the for, for all of our customers which is a big evolution and the next big step or evolution that we're taking which is not yet announced um, but maybe it will be when this podcast goes live is we're launching a new way to connect college grads to companies it's called a virtual career fair as you probably saw um, colleges are going online Companies want to hire new grads, but they're not going to go and visit colleges because of COVID. So how do you hire developers? How do you hire all these new grads this fall? So we're building a platform to connect new grad college students um, with companies and completely equalize the playing field. I, I actually, I'm very, very excited about this because I believe this will be a fundamental shift in the way that you even do university recruiting because companies will start to realize, wow, I spent like a million dollars going and visiting 10 schools and there are 400 schools in America that can actually graduate students and I can hire people across all of them at one tenth of the cost sitting at home. I mean, what, what else do I want? I think this can be a hugely disruptive thing, which we're going to launch this fall. So very, very excited about that. 
Yeah, awesome, Vivek. I, I, I'm gonna say I did have a demo the other day. I did not get a demo of the virtual career fair, so it was, you know. So I'm excited to see that as it's well. It's yet to be launched. No, yeah, I know, but I did. I did catch up. I'm just gonna. I know I'm, I'm going on, but I'm some. I'm a little geeky on this. So part of the demo, they were showing me some of the code pairing capability and in, in, in the, the virtual kind of code interview, and there was some SQL code in there, and it brought back some just some flashbacks for me, you know. And I'm trying to remember my SQL my my SQL order of statements, you know. Trish, I think I remember them. You ready? Trish, okay. select from where group by having order by. I think I got it right. I don't know. That's I'm awesome. Throwing it out there. Yeah. I think I got it. You got all the keywords. The SQL query might not work, but you got all the keywords. <laughs> I didn't ask. I actually didn't ask for anything. That's I just great. know the order of operation. <laughs> okay. Vivek, we'll let you go. So the website is hackerrank.com, right? That's where folks can go to learn more about many of the things we've talked about. That's where organizations are interested in this technology. You can go check it out. It is super cool. And I'm just saying that not, it's been a great conversation, of course, with Vivek talking about technical hiring and technology supporting technical hiring, but also kind of what's happening uh, with remote work in the future. But the technology is awesome as well. So I'd encourage folks to check that out. And uh, just, I want to say thanks, Vivek, for spending some time with us today. Absolutely. No, thank you so much. All right, Trish. Good stuff. Um, good stuff. I will. Uh, I will. I'll take us out. I don't. Wait. Have we have one final question. Do we? You, you did not ask Vivek what his childhood um, oh, the, breakfast the, of choice is. I think he's got to weigh in as we as we sign off. Yeah. What is it, Vivek? What is there? One little food from your childhood, or some just bad food for you? You still admit to eating? You know, I cannot eat a single meal without a side of chips. Ah, there we go. Even today. Really? Uh, yeah. And, and of course, uh, the potato chips and lays and stuff are not like very healthy. Right. So there is an alternate uh, that my wife found. It's called veggie chips. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, I can deal with it because it's not as good as lays, but I need something crispy on the side. Uh, otherwise, I can't have a single meal. So that is my wise. <laughs> I <Nice>. love that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. With that said, with chips and waiting and Pop-Tarts or whatever else, uh, that's it go. today from the HR Happy Hour Show. For our guest, uh, Vivek Ravasankar from HackerRank, for Trish McFarland. have a great rest of the day. My name is Steve Bose. We will see you next time, and bye for now.